Amen. What a wonderful time of worship, eh? Good. Morning, all. If you've not met before, I'm James, one of the elders here. Uh, if you want to turn to Matthew uh, 22, um, that's where we, well, the first passage will be. I'm going to let, rather than preach from passage like I typically would, I'm going to kind of touch on some key uh, points in Scripture that tie into what I'm speaking about. Uh, today, we're starting a, a new series called Discover Life, and you'll see why we've called that come the end of, uh, end of what I'm about to share. Um, and uh, today I'm talking about our future life together. So I'm talking about our future life together, just some key things that we, uh, since we've been meeting as elders since January, just felt uh, that God's put on our heart that we wanted to share with you for um, future, our future life. Uh, together, I'll tell you the story of uh, William Hillary. Um, he's the man, Sir William Hillary, who set up the RNLI. And um, the reason he set up the RNLI was because of his own experiences of rescue missions. People's lives had been saved. Um, he'd um, experienced the, 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 uh, the rescue of a crew on HMS uh, Vigilant and also HMS Racehorse, and it led to him establishing the organization that we know as the RNLI today. Um, And that's uh, kind of part of the reason that we're here, isn't it? The thing that we've been singing about and experiencing and enjoying this morning is that Jesus has saved us. We've experienced his salvation. Jesus has given us life and life in all its fullness. We're singing about this morning, his goodness and mercy has followed us all the days of our life. He's called us friend. All these things, we've experienced it firsthand. Known Jesus for ourselves, he saved us of our sin. He saved us from the world. He saved us from the devil. He saved us from death. And he's given us life in all its fullness. And uh, today I'm talking about really what we're about as a church. And it starts and is rooted in, isn't it, our experience of the Lord Jesus and his impact on our hearts and our lives. And it flows from there, doesn't it? That's where it flows from. Just like the RNLI was established on the basis of experience of people being rescued at sea. So what we are gathered here to and for is based on our experience of, first of all, being saved by the Lord Jesus and being known by him. Uh, Let me uh, give some context and background um, hopefully, those of you who received e-news got a chance to uh, have a look through that prophetic word that we received back in April 2020. And uh, I just want to kind of summarize the things that we've taken to heart from um, that time and those words. And the first was this picture of the honey, uh, the hive pi- um, picture and the honey kind of along with that, that people would experience God's goodness when they're amongst us, you know, like, when, when we're here on a Sunday, we're not just singing songs, are we? We're actually being reminded of and encountering God and his goodness towards us. And uh, we, that's what we want. That whole picture was about people experiencing God's goodness when they're with us and saying, hey, that, that thing you said, I just want to hear more about that. Or that they experience something in their encounter with us because they've met with God that makes them, I want to come back. And there was something about that time I was there. And I want to come back and understand more, and that way people being added to us. It was about there being a repeated pattern of life in house groups that equips us to be 
sticky people that people would stick to us. The words that Marcus talked about, our handprints, kind of the words that we say, kind of leaving an impression on people that helps them uh, stick with us. And that we'd be worker bees going in, but also out of the hive, that as we're the scattered church, that we wouldn't be swatted away, dismissed, kind of unwelcome like wasps are, but welcomed like bees. Oh, you know, <laughs> with bees, oh, they're pollinating. How helpful. <laughs> we know, yeah, if, we don't, if you don't do that, I don't live. So thank you very much, bee. Please don't sting me. Uh, we'd be welcomed uh, by people. Our words would come with sweetness to them. So that was the first thing, uh, the hive picture. The second thing was strengthening the foundations of the hive. And Mike talked uh, in the prophetic word about a building that had been stripped back, that God was stripping us back, that there had been a period where things were being brought back to the foundations, and that God was strengthening those foundations in order to to rebuild. They'd be strengthening our worship in God, our confidence in God's truth, our life together in the spirit, and our impact in the community around us. And then the third part of the word was about a physical expression of the hive, that God would give us a building, hub, center, where people would come for what they need. We'd be rooted in the community, visible to them, and that we'd work and serve the community from there, which we've had a wonderful update about this morning, haven't we? Um, this bit is a picture of where Jess and I and the kids go on holidays. This is where we were this summer in Tembe. It's a wonderful, classic holiday destination on the Pembrokeshire coastline. Golden beaches, harbour, um, you know, rocks to climb on, all that kind of stuff. Cafe with an ice cream to go and get your ice creams and cans of Coke from and whatever else you want. And we have a wonderful time on holiday there. And Tembe Lifeboat Station was established in 1852 by the shipwrecked Mariners Society. But over the course of its life, it's undergone many changes, updates, uh, times of renovation. And why? Because the Tembe Lifeboat Station wanted to continue its mission, wanted to fulfill its mission to save everybody, to save lives at sea. And so you notice that Tembe Lifeboat Station is actually two there. There's uh, one on the right there, which is the old lifeboat station with an old lifeboat in it where they do tours. And they take you on the lifeboat and they go, people, you, you know, this, this lifeboat saved somebody in this location when they did this or that. Um, but then in 2005, this new lifeboat station on the left was built. It was uh, the whole uh, mission was renovated. There were changes and updates um, they got this new lifeboat station and in 2006. They got a new lifeboat, a Tamar-class lifeboat, to continue on their mission. And uh, as a church, we have a history, don't we, going back 37-odd years. But there are times in the life cycle of churches where you go through times of change. And we've been going through probably a transition time for quite a long period now, probably seven or eight years or so, isn't it? Um, and we go through times of renovation and of update and of change. This, this lifeboat station on the left is still Tembe Lifeboat Station. It's the same crew, it's the same mission, but the renovation has brought about new station, new resources. In the same way, we're still, even though change is coming, we're still the same church. We're um, still the same people. We still have the same mission as before. But what I want to speak about this morning is a a new way of expressing our aim together as a people, our purpose, our mission together, 
I want to talk about what it looks like to be committed to that and committed to the Lord God and to one another. And talk about a new name for us as a church and logo that to represent us to the world. Uh, and also a bit about the building briefly as well. Um, so first, our aim. Groups of people always gather for a name, don't they? If you see a group of RNLI people gathered, you know, lifeguards, when they're stood there chatting on the beach, there's a purpose for why they've got together, isn't there? They've got together on the beach in their yellow T-shirts and red shorts to, to make sure nobody dies on the beach. That's the purpose, isn't it? All human groups gather for a purpose. And as a church, we gather for a purpose as well, don't we? So what is our uh, purpose? What is our aim in life as individuals and as a ch- church? Or in modern language, what's our, what's our vision? And when churches come to doing this, it's not a, this isn't a man-made initiative. This isn't uh, creative. It's not of our own initiative. But when we talk about our aim, purpose, mission, uh, vision in life as a church, really Jesus has already spoken to us about what it is. So let's have a look at together at Matthew um, 22. And uh, these passages are known as the Great Command and the Great Commission. So Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Um, be a well-known verse to many of us, I'm sure. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? It was Jesus. <laughs> There's a lot in here. <laughs> There's a lot. If I, if I would, you know, okay, I've read it all, but just, just help me out. Which is the greatest bit? You know, which, if I'm going to, like, read any bit a lot and kind of really take it to heart, which bit do I need to understand? Fair question, I think. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. What Jesus is saying is, all of this bit, is the, or the whole of the law and the prophets, it's all about loving the Lord your God with your heart, and with your soul, and with your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's his summary. He's using words out right out of Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Skip forward if you're, you're in your Bible to Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus says these words to us. These are Jesus' last words to us before he's resurrected, appears to his disciples. He's about to go up to heaven to be with the Father and reign at the right hand of the Father. And he says this to his disciples. Last words. It's the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, which can be summarized by love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so this is what Jesus has asked of us. This is a summary, the great command and the great commission of what the Lord has for us. And so what we've tried to do as elders is just put into words 
um, what the Bible says, what Jesus says, our purpose and aim is um, as a people and freshly express um, our life together. Provide us with language as a church to express what our aim is. So that when you're in team meetings, when you're in house groups, when you're even individually just kind of thinking about your life, this is a, a framework, if you like, for how, you, how we think about our life. Do you remember this? I think one of the, really er- the earliest preachers um, I brought when I was talking about our life together, um, Jim Grieve helpfully made this for us. Do you remember that? I preached on the Great Commission and talked about how our whole life together, in fact, our whole life as a, as a Christian is framed by something. You know, there's so much you could do in life, isn't there? So much coming at us all the time. How do you decide what you do and what you don't do? What's the kind of framework within which we live our life as Christians? And it's this, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. To love our neighbor as ourself. But obviously, that's all quite wordy, and we we need some some language to express that together. So this is... um, what we've come up with in terms of our aim together. This is our plumb line, if you like. This is our framework within which we live our life together as a church family, that um, we are those who are making disciples of Jesus, who live life together as church family, that we live in friendship, that we learn to be like Jesus and to live like Jesus. And we love God with worship and service and love Beckles and beyond with words, works and wonders. Uh, We're going to spend the rest of the Discover Life series explaining this, unpacking it um, and discovering what what this is. So we're going to have a preach essentially on making disciples, one on live, one on love, one on learn, just to unpack it in all its fullness. So I won't say too much more about it now. But really, this is to give us language as a church to help express what's our purpose, what's our aim, what are we doing um, together. Um, We've started using this from the off. It's already language that we as elders use. You might have heard us use these phrases um, already because they're kind of on our hearts, really. Um, We started using them in team meetings. So the children's work team the other day were meeting and trying to think through, you know, what they wanted to do to try and help make disciples of the children. And so we started off with this, and we tried to interpret it and understand it, its application for kids' work. And they came up with things that they wanted to do in the future, changes they wanted to make, improvements, progress they wanted to make on the basis of, of this. It provides the big picture. When people ask the, <laughs> the classic question you get as a church leader, what's your vision for X? And I say, well, it's to do this. And then somebody will go, well, what's this? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we express that? We express it um, in this way. It provides the big picture. It's not meant to drill down into the specifics of what our individual thumbprint looks like as a church. Um, God's still working that out amongst us, but it gives us the big picture, the framework, like I said. So that's the first thing, our aim. Uh, The second thing is our commitment to one another and, and to this. Uh, when we were on holiday once in Tembe, a couple of years ago, uh, there's a diner at the back of the beach uh, run by a guy called Joe, and he's called it Joe's Diner. Makes sense. And Joe is a volunteer with the RNLI. He's like one of those crew guys that volunteers. The harbour's like only a short kind of, I don't know, a couple hundred metres away. 
And one day, the alarm goes on the, on the lifeboat station. And the kids are all like, whoa, mum, now what's going on? And we're going to explain, you know, the alarm's going off. Somebody needs help. They need saving. And then we look over at the diner. And Joe has darted out from behind the counter. And he is legging it. I mean, Joe's a portly chap. He's built a bit like me. And uh, it wasn't the most gracious run, but it was a determined one. And I thought, crumbs, I wouldn't want to be him. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good run. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's probably took him four or five minutes. He legged it from behind the counter, sprinted over to the lifeboat station, which is next to the harbour. And then you hear the sirens go, everybody clear the landing area, the lifeboat's launching, and I crash into the water, and off it zooms. And uh, it's like, makes the kids' um, day. And when somebody joins Tenby Lifeboat Station, gets involved as part of the crew, they're made aware of the commitment, aren't they? They understand what it means to be part of the crew. The RNI even have these catchphrases that say we, we want to be trustworthy, courageous, selfless, dependable. They provide clarity on what it means to be part of them. Joe didn't hear the alarm and then go, oh, not again. Really? Now? Look at this ice cream queue. I'm, I'm making millions here off these holiday makers. The fools, they're buying ice creams for £2.50 each. I haven't got time for this now. Um, there's money to be made here. I'll be there in a minute. Because he understands what it means to be part of the crew in the lifeboat station. As soon as he hears the alarm, he bolts it. Because he's on a mission. And he knows what he's about. And he charges his way over there. Gets his gear on, gets on the boat, and they're off. His approach to being involved in Tenby Lifeboat Station was commitment-based. He'd committed himself to it and to its mission. It wasn't preference-based. And we live in a culture that's not commitment-based. We live in a culture that's preference-based. We live in a consumer society. That's one of the foundations of our society, isn't it? Being able to choose and have options about what you buy, what you wear, what you eat, and even where you go to church. And we can, this kind of consumer mindset, this preference-based mindset, can infiltrate into the church, can't it? We think about, what can I get from this person or this club, this society, this event, this church? What am I going to consume? What is available to me? But the approach to church in the New Testament is quite clearly like Joe's commitment, isn't it? It's not preference-based. Have a look at this passage, which we've looked at many a time, is a real key passage for understanding, kind of, I guess, it set our hearts on fire for the restoration uh, of the church. It says, they devoted themselves, this is the early church in Jerusalem. Peter's just preached, 3,000 people have been saved, and this is what their church life was like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. Many si- wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. That was the consequence and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That's a commitment-based culture, isn't it? Commitment to one another. Commitment to Jesus, commitment to his people, to his mission. Um, I came across a translated version, uh, a preference-based version of this passage. 
and I found it quite challenging. And when I read it now, I'm not saying that this is what we're like all the time, but I'm saying that given that we live in a consumer-based society that's preference-based, we probably can tend to some of these tendencies. So from an Australian church leader called John Tyson, he's translated this passage into preference-based language in this way. They studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to fellowship when they could fit it in. They prayed when they needed something and got coffee together every now and then. They were content without and had low expectation for signs and wonders in their midst. I was telling you in this meeting, wasn't I, that I felt convicted of that this, this week. If you're willing, Jesus is indignant about that kind of attitude. So, Lord, forgive me. Expect, help me expect on the basis of understanding what your heart is for me. Uh, where was I? They sometimes talked about generosity but kept all their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes and rarely revealed their hearts. What was the consequence? They were largely irrelevant to all the people and occasionally somebody was randomly saved. (laughs) I'm not saying that's us, but it it does fit with the way that culturally sometimes we can approach church if we have a preference-based attitude rather than a commitment-based attitude Um, like scripture encourages us. And so what we want to do as a church is to renew our commitment to Jesus and to his purposes and aims amongst us and what it means to be part of us as a church. And so the Discover Life series is going to unpack, like I say, the the aim and the purpose I just described. Um, Why are we doing that? Well, first of all, it's to help us be joined together in our shared endeavour. Church is not something where lots of a collection of individuals come together with their own agendas and try and awkwardly rub shoulders with one another whilst really trying to kind of do the thing that they feel they're meant to be doing. It's where we have a shared endeavor where, that we've clearly said we're going to make disciples who live, learn, love. And you come together with a shared sense of this is what we're about. I'm joined together with these people at a heart level to know Jesus, experience him and to do what he's called us Two, it um, helps us identify us as an identifiable group of people. New Testament church reveals to us that there is a worldwide, through all generations, eternal church that we're all a part of, regardless of which church you might go to. But when we read the New Testament, it doesn't seem that people were living with that blurry concept of church. Do it, does it? They were an identifiable group of people. There were local churches, concrete expressions of this global eternal church. And church is not a blurry concept. It was an identifiable people. They knew that they belonged. The elders expected, were expected to know who the flock were. It says, oversee the flock that's amongst you. So presumably they knew when they said, oversee the flock, they could say, yes, this is the flock. And they could name the people. Paul identifies people, doesn't he, when he writes his letters. He doesn't write them, he does write a couple of the letters, actually, to be fair, to the, to the broader church. But actually, most of his letters are written to a specific people. The church in Philippi. Yeah? To the saints in Christ in Philippi. That church in that city. Identifiable group of people. And he wrote them letters. And what does he do at the end of his letters and the beginning of his letters? He names people, doesn't he? He says, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. Say thank you to so-and-so. They were so helpful to me. Because 
he's writing to an identifiable group of people, not a blurry concept. So it gives us clarity about what it means to be part of us. There's no confusion. If somebody asked you which church you're part of, you would go, oh, well, you see, sometimes I really like the worship over there. It's really good there. Kind of like they're well emotionally engaged. But when the guy gets up to speak, it's utter nonsense. So I go over here sometimes because they preach from the Bible and it's really good, really solid. I find it really helpful. But sometimes I just like, you know, I need to get out. And so every month or so I kind of travel somewhere else. Just, you know, that's not what people would have said. I said, I'm a part of the church in Philippi. I'm part of this people and we're about this. Clarity about what it, what it means, not a blurry kind of response. And that helps give us a sense of belonging, doesn't it? We say, oh, this is where I belong. This is the family that I'm part of. You can say, this is my home. This is my church family. It gives us a great sense of security. There's people here who love me, know my name, know what my life is like, encourage me, challenge me, confront me sometimes, because they're my family. And we're doing it to give a clear sense of agreement that brings with it some accountability. That when people come to us afresh, we help them commit to us. We say to them, hey, this is who we are and this is what we're about. And you can, you're welcome to come and make home here. And they say, yes, we want to commit ourselves to Jesus and his church here and the plans he has for this church. And then we go, great, we'd love to receive you. And there's an explicit agreement not a blurry kind of like I've wandered my way into church and I'm a little bit unsure of whether like I'm okay to be here or not. And am I really here or am I? I don't, oh, I don't know. Nobody's really said to me I am. No, there's a clear moment when as, as elders, we, we would say to some, they'd say, hey, we want to commit to being part of the church. And we as elders on behalf of us go, we receive you. We're going to love you. You're part of a family. You belong here. You're part of us. Sometimes churches call this membership. We've tried to stay away from that language for a whole bunch of reasons. Membership to a club has a whole load of connotations to it that aren't biblical, and I don't think a partic- we don't think are particularly helpful. And so we tried to stay away from that language, and instead we're going to talk about being committed uh, to one another and to what Jesus is doing uh, with us. Uh, yeah, and it will also kind of provide opportunity for us to talk through anything pastorally with people um, and will help, uh, help them have opportunity to ask any questions of, of us. Um, we're going to take our time with this process. So I'm going to talk about what commitment looks like at the end of the series and, and then we'll talk about the process. Essentially, once we've talked about uh, the Discover Life series, then there'll be opportunity to meet with people and work out person-specific next steps, how to, you know, to have that sense of explicit agreement, um, have a moment for that, but also to talk through anything, answer questions, and work out um, how we can help you commit and be part of the church, and to renew that sense of commitment amongst us. Go on. And the final uh, thing was... I've spoken much about the building in, in the past, so I'm going to speak about it a bit more briefly because I've given talks before on, on our purpose in that, um, and we remind ourselves of it regularly. Um, but what we felt in part, as part of the renovation was a new name for us um, as a church. We felt it was a timely opportunity with the building coming um, to renovate, as it were, update how we present ourselves to the community and to the world. And so our principle in this is to think about what makes us accessible 
to people so that we can achieve our aim? Yeah? What makes us accessible to the community and the world out there so that we can achieve our aim of making disciples who live, love, and learn? Um, so that's kind of in, in our minds. So why have we, why have we gone for Life Church um, Beckles? Well, we've gone for life um, because it's a synonym for salvation. And that's what we want people to primarily experience, isn't it? And know. We want them to find life and life in all its fullness in friendship with Jesus. And you just read all the time throughout Scripture, when you see the word life, usually it's a synonym for the word salvation. You could just swap the words in, and it would still retain its meaning. Um, So that's why it kind of came to mind for us. Jesus offers, doesn't he, life, and life in all its fullness. And it has some real positive connotations in society, doesn't it? It's quite a warm friendly word. People are searching for life. They're looking for life. Culturally, it's an understandable word. It's a welcoming name. It's also a flexible name that we can use. So if we're doing particular ministries out in the community, we can have life tots or, you know, life whatever it might be. Um, You can can imagine. Not that everything has to be called life, but it's a usable usable name. Um, uh, Why Beckles? I'm going to call it Life Church Beckles. Why have we gone for that? Because we could have said Life Church Waveney, couldn't we? Because there's a whole bunch of us who live in Bungie or out of town, Halesworth, towns and villages around. So why do, why do we go for that? Because um, part of our aim is to love Beckles and beyond with words, works and wonders. Because the thing that Jesus has called us to is making disciples, isn't it? Which is kind of a follow-on from what God told Adam and Eve in the garden. What did he tell them to do? Go forth and multiply and fill the earth. That's the gospel. That's what happens with the gospel. It multiplies. As we share it with other people, we're multiplying our faith, aren't we, within others. And it's increasing and spreading. And that's how the gospel's reached here. The gospel started a very long way away from here, in Jerusalem, didn't it? Just after Jesus said those words of the Great Commission. And the gospel has spread and increased and moved. And that's what we're about as a church, making disciples, multiplying. So part of our vision is for Beckles, but also the beyond. The beyond including Bungie, Halesworth, and the towns and villages around that we want to reach those uh, towns. We want places like Bungie to have their own word and spirit church, to have a version of Life Church Bungie. It doesn't have to be called Life Church Bungie, but you get what I mean. A community of word and spirit who are making disciples and reaching out to those around them. So if you're part of, if you live in those places, you can wholeheartedly commit yourself to Life Church Beckles, knowing that what you're committing yourself is not therefore you have to go and have to slump over to Beckles and kind of like, you know, kind of awkwardly become a part of things over there because there's not really anywhere to, for me to go in town. No, you can wholeheartedly commit yourself here, knowing that our aim and purpose is to continue going out. And we've talked honestly before, haven't we, about we would love to see churches planted in those places in the future. We need to get sorted here first and rebuild, don't we? But as we do, and we multiply and make disciples, we trust churches will in the future be planted in those places. Amen? Uh, with the logo, um, I don't have one to show you because yeah, we haven't been um, given ideas yet, but we've enlisted the help of somebody called John Mullinder. You might have heard us talk about the Pouring Land Church plant that Kings are doing. Um, in, in, they're in Pouring Land. Well, John and Holly Mullinder lead that. John's a graphic designer, works for a company as a graphic designer, has done 
kind of these types of renovations for churches multiple times, church in Sheringham, North Walsham, Kings, etc. And so he's going to help us with just some of the design. He's actually the one who created this PowerPoint, so it gives you an idea of the kind of quality we can expect for him. But he's um, he comes well commended and uh, is a good friend of mine. So um, know what's coming, which is good. Uh, why have we? We're going to call the building the Hive. Why have we gone uh, for the the Hive? Um, uh, just like I was explaining earlier, Tembi Lifeboat Station got in a new building to help it achieve their mission. And in the same way, as we've talked about many times, this building is part of us helping to achieve the mission that Jesus has given to us and his uh, purpose amongst us. And the priority in that is making the building accessible to those that we want to love and serve to those, and to those that will help us love and serve people. So i.e. Um, we want it to be accessible to our friends, to our family. We want it to be accessible to members of the community, for individuals to hire, for community groups to use, and for businesses who are going to pay money for our building so that it releases funds for us to, to do uh, mission. So the idea is that we wouldn't have any obstacles or barriers to people walking through the door. And some of the things that churches can typically do tend to do that. But it is our building as a church... And, but let's be honest, regardless of how we present ourselves, you will walk through the door on a Sunday morning because that's where we'll be meeting. You, we don't need, as a church, the building to be accessible to us in that way. We don't have the same kind of obstacles that everybody out there in the world has. You go, my church meets there, I'm going to walk in the door. We could put whatever you like on the front of the door. You wouldn't care. You'd be like, my family's in there. That's my home. That's where we meet. I'm going to walk through the door. But to everyone else out there, is church very accessible, generally, culturally, at the minute? No. No. There are a whole load of hurdles. So what we want to do is break those down as much as possible to make it easy for people to walk through the door. So we trust that this name will be accessible to businesses who use it as a conference center, to community groups who use it as a community space, to individuals who hire our facilities, and to friends that we invite into our home. And the way that we think about the building is, it's our church family home. And we use our home as a resource to try and achieve the things that Jesus has called us to. You might remember in the prophetic word that Mike brought us, that he said at one point, people will come into your building, and they'll, they'll have come in, and then they'll go, oh, and you have a church here too. Do you remember that part of the prophetic word? And that's the dynamic that we're looking for, that people would walk in the building and go, oh, and you have a church here too, do you? Yes, we do. And they would know. They feel well-loved and welcome. And they go, oh, there's a church here too, is there? And then uh, we pray that they would meet Jesus in that. God hasn't uh, told us to call it the hive, but also it follows a prophetic lead from the prophetic word, doesn't it? In that it, it has some meaning for us. The hive isn't completely meaningless. It's part of the prophetic word that was spoken over us. And so... It, it has some, some meaning for us as well. Our aim is to, to make these changes in January 23. So we have some time leading up to then for these things to happen in order to get us there and give John time to, to put some things together. Uh, do you want to turn to John chapter 15? Uh, just as, this is the bit I'm going to finish on. 
John 15, verses 12 to 17. Because um, what I didn't want to do was really leave a talk on names and logos, because they're quite cold and material, really. Names and logos don't really warm your heart. <laughs> the, the love that Jesus has for us does. Um, and so I didn't want to leave us there. I wanted us to come back to where I started. Um, and it can be very easy to get hung up on names and logos and make more of them and give more weight to them than is appropriate. Although I realize that they'll have some attachment for some of us, particularly if we've been part of the years, church for years and years. Um, the name New Life Christian Fellowship and calling it The Fellowship will have some attachment to it because it's been part of our life for 30-odd years. Um, but I didn't want us to go away thinking about names and logos. I want us to go away with uh, Jesus' love for us and dreaming about seeing others encounter him and knowing him and committing to him wholeheartedly. So have a look at this in John fifteen twelve to 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Why? Why did he choose you? Why did he choose you? So that he appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, it should last. So that whatever you ask in uh, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The whole passage is, the fruit that we want to see, hey, I don't know what you're, my heart bursts for people to know the love of Jesus for themselves. Does it you? That, that is like the nutshell of what we are doing here, isn't it? And first, it's rooted in our own friendship with Jesus. I have called you friends. You are my friends. That's what Jesus says to you and I. You're my friends. Any fruit that we might bear in the future, any making of disciples, any encounter of God is rooted, first of all, in friendship with Jesus. The tree bears fruit, doesn't it? But its roots are underground, getting nourished. And if we want to bear fruit in the things that I've talked about today, we need to be rooted in friendship with Jesus. The fruit of fulfilling the great command and the great commission will come as we abide in him. And that fruit will last. It won't be temporary. It won't rot. It won't be stolen or destroyed. It will last And what's the basis of it? Jesus has laid down his life for us. Jesus is not (laughs) preference-based. Jesus is commitment-based. He's committed himself to us, his very self. And our response to him is committing ourselves to him afresh and to his friendship with him and to his purposes for us.